Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. Today, we are moving on to a whole new series based on the book of John. So we have actually, if you've been here all year, we started with Matthew and we've been through Luke and now we're into John and we're going to go to Mark. But in John, rather than just going through it, what we're going to do is going to a whole series. I've been reading a book by N.T. Wright called Broken Signposts. And what he's saying in this book, which I'm just loving, is that we love to make sense of the world. We all try to make sense of life. Everyone wants to know what life is all about. None of us just go through it as robots. And even if you think there is no meaning, you life doesn't prove that because all of us want to know something about ourselves. You know when you have tests like strength finders and personality tests, everyone likes them because everyone likes to know more about themselves. You know, and you find you sit in a room and someone goes, yes, you are really good at that. And you, you like that, don't you? like being told you're good at something, something about your identity. You like that. So that's that's a way of trying to make sense of life. Then you actually feel if you do a strengths finders test that, you know, anyone ever done one or something, you know, and you get your top five strengths and secretly in your heart you think those top five strengths are the superior strengths because they're yours and uh, you understand how much the world needs your strengths. Like the other thing it shows we try to make sense of life is that we try to put something into life. We try to solve the problems of life. We try to solve our personal problems. We try to solve our citywide problems, our global problems. And we look at things happening around the city and we have conversations like, why did they put that road there? They should have put this road here because we're trying to make everything work together. We make sense. We get upset with the city council because they made a decision that you and I thought wasn't a good one. That's making sense of life, how everything should work together. And so, but the problem is, is as N.T. Wright says in this book that you might like to read, is that all these things that somehow deep within us, we know that they're meant to make sense of life. As we get closer to them, they don't work. For instance, we know that we should be loved and have relationships and we work really, really hard for that. We pay, we go to counsellors to have those, but we still hurt the people we really love. So there's these things that we as human beings are trying to make sense of, but they're like signposts towards what life is all about, but they're broken signposts. And we're going to look at seven of them starting today. What are these broken signposts? And as Tim Costello was saying a couple of weeks ago, there is an alternative story. And those things that you're yearning for are you are meant to have but we're trying to get them in the wrong way and there is an alternative story to finding these things and we're going to look at um, things like love and beauty and power and freedom and truth. But today we're looking at justice because all the world knows that we need justice. When we think of the world, I don't know what you think of the word, the word justice, so the word justice will evoke different thoughts for each one of us. So we have to really ascertain what we mean by justice to begin with because sometimes I think when people talk about justice, you know how people say I'm just a really justice-minded person like that? And often it means that they think they have the answer for everything and um, sometimes justice means revenge. You know how you might hear in the media there's some court case and the people outside saying I just want justice? But God's version of justice, the way God sees justice is restoring everything, setting things right. So this is the way we're looking at justice because when you're thinking of justice in the world, you actually want things set right again. That's what you want to happen. I look at um, Rosie down here who's the CEO of CAP, Christians Against Poverty, and Rosie is looking for justice for the poor to set things right. 
Okay. I went to um, Parliament House this week with Matt Davis. Matt and Brittany are, are missions and justice pastors and he has he's this is the fourth time of taking um, women leaders from around Australia to Parliament House to lobby politicians for justice. And I've got to do this and I've learned a lot because the first year I went, I have no idea what I was doing. And uh, but Matt has this amazing way of training everyone up. You meet there on the first day and this this time we were going to um, talk to politicians about the famine in Africa, how serious it is and could Australia put more money into the aid budget for that and, put, and add an extra $150 million at the moment for um, emergency food relief. And that, that's actually a difficult one to get through at the moment. Because everyone's aware that Australia is in huge debt after COVID. And we have to get in perspective. We may be in debt, but we have food and we're not watching our children die of starvation. And currently in Africa, many countries of Africa, 10,000 children a day are dying of starvation. 10,000 a day. If suddenly we turned on the news this morning and it said 10,000 Australian children will die today of starvation, we would act but we don't do it when they're removed from us. And that is justice. That is fighting for justice. And there's a huge injustice in that and that you have all these wealthy countries of the world who have the resources who could solve that tomorrow. But we don't because we're very self-focused. And that self-focusedness comes into the church. You've got this global justice problem. There's huge inequalities and there's people paying for it. Like the war in Ukraine has caused, has been one of the fa- one of the three factors that's caused this problem because Ukraine had was the wheat belt that was providing wheat for Africa. It's not there anymore. And we put half a billion dollars into the war in Ukraine. So you see there's injustices happening all the time. That's the global scale. And we think, well, that's too much for us, but it's not, as I'll explain to you. But then there's the personal scale. So if I passed around a piece of paper now and I said to everyone, okay, write down all the injustices that have happened to you in your life, you would sit there probably for the next half hour and then the person next to you would say, just remember that one as well. And they oh, that's right, I forgot that. I remember they did that to me. And we write down all these injustices. Like I remember when I was in year seven. I went to the canteen at lunchtime. I had this little packet of lollies in my pocket and had this girl sitting in front of me who said, I want one of your lollies. I said, not now because we had Mrs Brown, the Latin teacher, and she was fierce that no one talked in Mrs Brown's class. And she kept turning around, turning around, turning around. In the end, I thought, I'll keep this girl quiet. I give her my whole packet. I had passed it to her. And uh, I still remember her name, but I won't say it here in case someone knows her. And uh, Mrs Brown looked up and said, what are you doing? Bring those out. And I had them confiscated. It was a great injustice. <laughs> Still remember that. Anyway, we met on a train once, that girl and I, and we restored our friendship. Then you have, if I give you the, the next sheet of paper and it says write down all the unjust, unjust things you did to someone else, it'd probably be a shorter list because uh, we get mad when someone is unjust towards us. But we have a really good reason why we did what we did to someone else. It's a very good logical reason. And sometimes I'll say, oh, look, sorry, but I didn't mean it. My intentions were good, okay? This is the injustice of the world. And we've been trying to solve this for thousands of years and it's not working. But things started to turn around when the church was birthed 2,000 years ago and things started to happen in the world that have made the world a more just society. And even without following Jesus, there are principles that have come into this world that have actually helped. Healthcare, for instance, didn't start till the first Christians actually started to go out and help those who were dying, particularly in the plague, and would take them in and look after them. 
Amazing things have happened through Jesus. But as our Mark says from Melbourne says, many of us want the kingdom without the king. And it doesn't always work because to get this sort of justice happening in the world that God's talking about of setting things right again requires a change of your heart and mind. And so we're going to look really quickly in the next 20 minutes about what God's justice actually is and how you and I can live in it every day. So you have to hang on because I've got a lot, but it's good stuff that we all need to hear because we in the West have made our lives very individualistic and we think Jesus died just for you, which he did, but we don't understand the big picture of what's going on here. So I'm going to give you big picture and little picture really, really quickly. So N.T. Wright says this, Justice serves as a signpost pointing to what is foundational or essential to our lives, but it's a broken signpost in that no matter how hard we strive to live up to the ideal, we fail often in ways that create more injustice. You see it happening on a global scale. One country is annoyed with another, so they pay them back in some way and then the other country pays them back and then they pay them back and then they pay them back and it goes on for thousands of years sometimes. We live with that now. But then you have injustices in families and one person's hurt and then they tell someone else in the family who tells someone else and then we all talk about it and then we all can't get together and it goes on for years and it gets passed down through the generations. So it's, it's, it's a global and it's a, it's a personal thing that's happening all the time. And Jesus came to do something new. And we see this story, it's the one that Katie was singing about, where um, a woman who was caught in the act of adultery is brought to Jesus and, um, and this is what happened. The religious leaders bring her and they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Hang on to that word there, accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote in the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. Awkward, because to throw the stone you have to say, I am without sin. Only one person there was without sin and that was Jesus and he didn't throw the stone. Until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Women, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Hang on to that word as well. We've looked at accuse and now condemn. No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. And what is Jesus doing here to do with justice? Because, see, they saw justice as she should be punished. And he is reminding them that they are all deserving of punishment. He's making it a level playing field. He's not giving all the answer here. He's raising some really, really big questions. Why do you accuse and condemn when you two are guilty? Why do you do that? And here's part of the injustice system of the world that we live in, that we think we know what justice is, but we actually don't. And so to solve this, John, when he's writing the gospel, he, he sh- brings this whole story of justice right through the gospel of John. And he goes, and from John 1, he starts to bring this picture to us so to understand what Jesus is actually doing. And so he brings it back to the big picture because for you and me to understand what justice would look like in this world, we need the big picture of life to work it out because we we always try to work it out with little personal conversations. We have conversations about 
ourselves, about our relationships, about broader relationships, about government relationships, about overseas relationships, but it's all sort of brought down from my tiny little perspective. And John's coming in and giving us global perspective to start with. And the global perspective starts in John 1, verse 1, where it says, in the beginning, God is setting things right and to set things right again, we need to go back to the beginning, how it all began. In the beginning was the word and this word with a capital W, w is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So you've got this beautiful picture of unity here of the Trinity. And through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. might just sound a lot of words but there's something profound in this that we really need to understand. That everything, you and I were all made through him. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So what is this light, this life and this light that he's talking about? The light of man seems to be the faculty or condition, the inward and outward means by which men know God. This light is how we get to know God. And In the beginning, people and God were totally unified, and so we had light. We had light. We had light under. It could be like this: the light of men is the conscience and reason, the eye of the soul, by which the human race comes into contact with truth and right and beauty. There is an eye of your soul. There's a beautiful verse in Ephesians one that says, "Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, that I might see you." And so, from the beginning, we know that the the way the world works really well is when people and Jesus are one with each other and we can see, the eyes of our soul can see. And then it goes on in John 1 to say, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus himself, to set things right, was actually coming into the world. This is profound. Come into the world to be with people, to set things right again. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him then when he first came and now. They didn't recognise him when he, when he stopped that woman being stoned because they thought he would come to judge and accuse. They had the wrong image of who he was. You miss someone when you don't know who they, they really are. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Did you, have you heard the story? There was a minister in England who um, he was going to be a guest preacher at a church and he came dressed in filthy rags, looking disgusting and dirty and uh, hardly anyone said hello to him. And then when they invited the guest preacher off, he took off his filthy rags and he was actually the guest preacher and they missed him. They missed who he was. And Jesus came in a form that was uh, not what people are expecting God. They were thinking when they're coming to throw the stones that they're representing God. And you can miss him when you don't know who he really, really is. And so in this story so far, we've seen a lot about light and darkness. And the light, if I can take it to being your, the eyes of your heart opening so that you actually see him, who he really is, and you see the world as it really is, and you have your perspective changed, you moved out, moved out of darkness. I think sometimes if you say to people you're living in darkness, it's kind of, it comes across as you're really wicked and evil. And there's a lot of people, including you and me, who can live in darkness, and it's not that we're essentially wicked or evil it's just that we don't know how to do things right so have you ever tried to do anything in the dark 
you can't see. That's the problem. You can't see. So you don't know where things are and you tend to trip over things. And when the light comes on, you think, oh, that's where everything is. I was even walking the wrong way. I was convinced. You know, the light's off and you're convinced. You know, if you're getting up and you're walking in a dark room in the middle of the night or in the middle of the night you go out to the kitchen and that, that light switch that you all know, always know where it is, you can miss that as well because you're in the dark. And I think that's what living in the dark is like. It's like you just you can't see things clearly and God, Jesus is coming to shine a light so that you can actually see things clearly. This is how justice is going to happen in the world, which you'll see in a moment. But you've got to understand that living in the dark does not mean you're running around doing evil deeds all the time, although sometimes we are. But it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that your intentions aren't good. It just means you can't see clearly. And that's why we keep messing everything up. And if you could see clearly, it would make, make a difference. When I went to Canberra this week, and I'm sorry if you've lived in Canberra, but I find Canberra a really difficult city to work out. Has anyone ever experienced that? Like, does it have a centre? Now, if you're a Canberran, you'll be offended by now. Although Ian was and he's not offended. I've had this conversation with him. It's easy to drive around because it's got a wonderful system of roundabouts and things like that. But I think, how does this place actually work? And I would like to get a bird's eye view, you know, to get up and actually see it, to see what's going on in Canberra, to see how it works. And uh, you can see that, you know, sometimes if you've ever been in a plane, you look down, the world looks so different. And a town that you feel is massive when you're in it looks like a tiny little patch of lights and there's a lot of land around it. And it changes your perspective. And God is bringing his light in to change our perspective of him and of ourselves and of the world around us. And so this is what Jesus said in John 12, the time for judging this world has come. And people just read that and get, Jesus has come to judge the world. That's not what he's saying. That's what people are expecting, big judge to come down, condemn everyone. But Jesus says this, The time of judge, for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Now look at this passage again. This is, this is key to understanding justice. The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. And you have this powerful image here of two kingdoms. Powerful image of two kingdoms. You have two rulers represented there. You have Satan and Jesus. And there are two ruling kingdoms. And you may not be sure that that's the truth, but once you understand that um, a kingdom looks like it's king, you'll understand that the systems of our world look very much like this ruler of the world, the Satan as he's known. It doesn't mean that everyone runs around being bad all the time, but we'll come to this in a moment where you'll see what he's looked like because he is called the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of brothers and sisters. And we live in a very accusatory world. Can you get through one day without hearing or reading an accusatory conversation or a condemning conversation? It's all there and we think we'll solve the problems of the world through condemnation and accusation. It's there all the time and that's what this world is like and that's why it's really hard to get justice because you think you'll solve a problem just by accusing someone and it doesn't work. So N.T. Wright says, This at last discloses how the real lawsuit now stands, how ultimate justice is going to be done. No wonder we humans can't get it right. There are larger, more shadowy forces involved. This, in other words, is not just a story about human justice. It isn't even about creation being put right, though it is that as well. It's about a dark power, a power without a real name, 
because it's the power of anti-creation. It's the world's ruler. And with, if you live in darkness, you don't realise that you're living in darkness and you're following these ways and there's some, it's like a clash within you because you know you want things to be right but you think you can make it right through accusation and condemnation and grace like Jesus showed in that situation just seems so weird and powerless that we don't go that way. Kindness sometimes seems so powerless. Forgiveness seems so powerless and yet Jesus is bringing in a new way of doing justice. It says in Revelations 12, Satan is also called, sorry, then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, it has come at last. This is talking about when Jesus died and rose from the dead. It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And here's another description of these two realms fighting against each other. The kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ moves in as opposed to the accuser who has been thrown down. So this is giving us now a much bigger picture of what this justice is all about. Jesus has come to overthrow the kingdom of darkness and to usher you into the kingdom of light. And it says in John 12, if anyone hears my words but doesn't keep them, I do not judge that person. Okay? He didn't come to judge that person. And so many people think that's what he's come to do. You hear people say, I wouldn't go to church because the ceiling would fall in on me, meaning God would judge me. If I put my foot in church, God would judge me. And people are aware of those things all the time. I particularly find that as a pastor, people think I'm ready to judge them. They'll apologise to me if they swore to their children. I think you should apologise to your children. If you want to swear to your children, swear at your children. <laughs> but they're worried that I am representing God who is judging them. But Jesus said this, If anyone hears my words but doesn't keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. He didn't come to judge it. He came to rescue it. So if you, if you step back and think of what I've just been showing about these two kingdoms and if you're trapped in one kingdom and someone comes to rescue you, you have been saved. So saving means to be rescued out of one kingdom and brought into another. That is what your salvation is all about. Have you ever seen a movie where there's some amazing rescue attempt that happens because people are stuck in, they're held captive somewhere. And these people come in and do an amazing rescue attempt and get them out and set them free. It's like that. You're being rescued. And sometimes we don't even know that we've been trapped. And Jesus says this, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. There is a judge. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. Jesus has come to actually rescue you from judgment. It's come to rescue you from judgment. That's why it says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So without him, everyone is perishing. And not because he sent judgment upon us but because we're living in that kingdom of darkness that we need rescuing from. And we can't get things right. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, as many people think, but to save the world, to rescue the world through him. And the only way you can do it is by believing in him, by trusting him, not by the good things that we think we do. And we get so caught up in that, thinking, I'm really nice. My intentions were good. I'm sorry I got it wrong, but my intentions were really good. Surely God will understand that. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. In other words, you are already living under condemnation. Do you want to be set free from condemnation? Put your faith and trust in Jesus because he's come to rescue you from condemnation. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Like this beautiful picture of who he is, of who God is, has come into the world. The beautiful picture of how valuable you are has come into the world. The beautiful picture of how you can be rescued has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. In other words, people don't want to know. And sometimes you just don't want to know. So just don't tell me. I don't need to know what's going on. I had a guy, a guy tradesman came to our house many years ago and um, he saw one of my kids had on the wall a lot of the kids um, that he was sponsoring in India. And uh, the guy said, oh, is someone travel? And I said, yes. And I told him about a sponsorship program. And uh, he said, yeah, yeah, I'm not for that sort of thing. And I said, oh, and he goes, oh, you know, I think just, you know, natural selection, just let people die and solve the problems of the world. And I said, if you went and you just met one person and you discovered, don't think I ever hired him, but anyway, we had this little conversation. <laughs> He's doing a quote. I said, if you went and you met one of those kids, it would change, you would break your heart forever. He said, that's why I don't go. And that's what we do with living in the darkness. We just don't want to know. Look, just let me live my own little life. Just don't let me know. Don't let me know about heaven and hell. Don't let me know about God. Don't let me know about all these things because I just want to live my life in ignorance. And we're called to bring the light into the world as Jesus has asked us to. It says, Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And what that means, sometimes you can translate that as meaning, oh, I'll come into the light because I'll show you that all my deeds are good. It doesn't mean that at all. It means I will come into the light and be real about myself. I will come into the light and say, all this stuff I have been doing in the sight of God, I just was fooling myself that I wasn't. I will come to the Lord and I will come into his light and I will be honest about my all my failures, all my sins, all my setbacks, all my hurts, all my disappointments, all the anger and the bitterness I hold in my heart. I'll be honest about it. I will be honest about it because I have now got to the point of realising I can't solve it all myself. So if you live in the darkness, you, want just, you just don't want to know. You just don't want to know the bigger picture of life. If you come into the light, it's humbling because then you know. You know, like the um, mirrors and the lights in change rooms that no one likes. And then you go to some places and the mirror and the lights in certain bathrooms are so dim you can't even see yourself. You think, oh, I'm looking pretty good tonight. It's because you can't see yourself. And so it's a little bit like that. When you come into the light, everything is exposed and you have to be ready for it. And you bring it to God and he says, let me rescue you from this. Let me rescue you. So to live fully in his justice means to be honest with yourself to accept that you can't see things clearly. This is God's plan for the world. If people would come to him in humility and repentance, knowing we haven't got it together, that's when he can start working with you. That's when you can raise your hand up and say, I'm drowning, please rescue me. Otherwise you pretend that you're not drowning. 
And therefore, it says in Romans 8, 1-2, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So you now live in a different kingdom because you're under a different group of laws because in the law of the kingdom of darkness you live under the law of sin and death. If you get it wrong, you die. If you live in the kingdom of light, there is no condemnation. You live. Life is given to you. You choose which kingdom you want to belong to. But if you live in this kingdom of light where there is no condemnation, there is no condemnation within you to others as well. And that's how you know you're living in the kingdom of light. But when you're living, when if you say you're living in the kingdom of light and your language is full of condemnation and accusation, that doesn't reflect the king that you pertain to follow. So we have to watch ourselves every day to say, which king actually am I following today? Which one is it? And um, John actually writes in, in his epistle, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours but also for the sins of the whole world. Now you see there's a whole lot of legal language here. All the way through there's been legal language. Accusation, condemnation, now we've got advocate. So he's saying you will mess up again. Okay, we all know that. But you have this advocate. So think of him as a lawyer. And uh, you come into the courtroom and you've got to stand before God and you've got to give an account of your life. And you can choose which lawyer you want. Your choice is you or Jesus. Now, you give an account for yourself and you say, oh, I didn't mean this and I didn't mean that and I tried this and I tried that. And, and you, there's also the accuser of the, of the brothers and sisters who's standing there reminding God of everything that you've done and you know it's true. So you can be your own lawyer or you can choose Jesus. And he is the one who says, well, you know what? I've paid the penalty for all their sins. I've clothed them with my righteousness. They are now a son or a daughter of the Most High God. They stand not condemned, not judged, free and saved. That's the lawyer I would like. I would like the one who understands the beginning and the end. I would like the one who understands how the world was set in place. I would like the one who understands the depth of the human soul, the brokenness of the human heart, the one who wants to restore, the one who's interested in the tiny little details of your life, the one who wants to bless you, the one who's... I would like that to be my lawyer every day when I go into life and the day that I stand before God on the final day. I will have him any day. And what's more, he's already paid the price to be my lawyer. He's free, as Sam was telling us about before, and he's paid a great price for it. And so you get this beautiful picture of the justice that has been won for you in Colossians where it says, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptised, And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. So you died to one kingdom, you're born into the other. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away because you lived under the law of sin and death before. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. And here's the key thing about this, and it's legal language again, about this justice that's been won. He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. The greatest injustice is that people are enslaved. That is the greatest injustice. And you see it happening all around the world because we enslave people to remembering their past sins towards us. 
We see people enslaved literally around the world. We see people enslaved to poverty. We see people enslaved to despair, brokenness. We see it all around the world. There is slavery all around the world. And you too and I, without Jesus, are slaves to all of this. And the greatest it, the greatest um, justice has been won by cancelling the record of the charges against us and nailing them to the cross. And in this way, he disarmed. Here's, here's the amazing thing. Look at this verse. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities who have control over people. He disarmed them. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. You have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. You've been set free. That's justice. Justice is, if once you get this alternative story, this big justice picture that human beings need to be rescued from one kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light, that people were trapped there, there's a slavery problem going on in the world and all of us live in it, whether we're rich or poor. Everyone needs to be rescued from it. Some people are enslaved to their riches. Some people are enslaved, enslaved to their identity. Everything to make, give us a semblance of life and yet Jesus has come to rescue us from it. And when we're rescued from it, our heart for justice for others grows strong. Firstly, our heart for justice that people would know Jesus and that, and knowing Jesus, they wouldn't just think it's about just being a good person because there's lots of good people. It's actually about being set free and knowing him. It's actually Eternal life is actually about knowing him, experiencing his presence every day. And then once we get that on a daily basis, we start to love people with the love of Jesus. Where he said from the cross, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And now you can understand what that means because he understands that everyone, whether they're the victim or the oppressor, is living in darkness and they don't know what they're doing. That's what he means. They don't know what they're doing because they don't know what they're doing. And suddenly when you see your own sin and brokenness and you come into the light, you suddenly understand, oh, they don't know what they're doing. That's why everyone's acting so strange. And in Isaiah 58, we read, this is God speaking, and this is what he's saying to his people, and he would say this to us today because he's talking to them, fasting and praying for lots and lots of things to happen. And he says, is not, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke and to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? And before you think of physical oppression, think of spiritual oppression and do we as followers of Jesus actually care that people don't know him? Do we care? How many people do you pray for regularly to know him, that they would know him, and you love them with the love that Jesus has shown you, and you invite them to something so they can encounter Jesus, so that they can know him too? That's the heart of God. I mean, it's the heart of God so much that he came and gave his life on the cross that that could happen. And so as followers of Jesus, is that our mission or is it just to have a nice little prayer answered? We have to ask ourselves that question. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see them naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Are there people in your families who need you? But there's a rift. But would you be like Jesus and go to them and care for them? Because when this happens, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, 
and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. This is what we will be called, repairer of broken walls and restorer of streets with dwellings. And sometimes when you and I look at the huge injustices in the world, we think, what can we do? But you know what? We're the church. We have organisations all around the planet. We have branches in every city, town and village on the planet. And in some countries they're growing at a rapid rate. And when we come together collectively, we can do a lot of good things. When we get rid of all our differences, when we stop worrying about our little legalistic debates and we get God's big picture of justice for the world, we can do a lot. We can come together as a church in this city and have a heart for this city in every area with every demographic and we can see extraordinary things happen because we're empowered by the Spirit of God. And we can come together for the people in the world who are suffering and we don't have to live in darkness about it. We can open our eyes to what's happening in the world as painful as it is to see it. You sometimes, I'm just going to show you a little video and sometimes we say, oh, we don't want to see that video. This video, if you do have kids under 15, may be a bit distressing. I'll just give you that warning now. It's only for a couple of minutes. Sometimes we don't want to see the distressing things because we say that's a bit too distressing for me. But some people are living in that. We have to, we have to get out of our ivory towers sometimes and say that's a bit too distressing for me and, and say what can I do about this? So have a look at this little video. Right now, there are more people trapped in slavery than ever before. Over 40 million children, women and men are beaten, raped, and starved in an industry worth $150 billion per year. Criminals prey on the world's poor because they expect no one to defend them. But today, there are thousands of people joining forces to seek justice for those in slavery. We are a group of lawyers, counselors, activists, and supporters. We are called International Justice Mission. Each year we rescue thousands and protect millions, working alongside local law enforcement to prosecute criminals, restore survivors, and transform how justice systems protect their citizens. But we can only do this with you, the church. Moving with God's heart for justice, we will, together, find those trapped in slavery. We will get them home, to their families, so they can have the freedom they deserve. So that's IJM and we get to hear from IJM next week. And uh, when we get to hear from IJM, they won't be speaking into uh, to your needs they're speaking the needs of justice in the world. And we as a church need to be balanced. Yes, we can come to God every week with our own personal needs and I'd love to do that and I have needs every week that I need Jesus to answer every day, probably every moment of every day. But he has justice for me 
individually and he has justice for the world and he's calling us to be a church who brings justice and that justice is spiritual justice. So, you know, when you give to the church, when you serve on children's ministry or youth ministry or VIPs or run a connect group or whatever you're doing, we are partnering together to set people free into the love of Jesus. All of us are doing that together through our giving and our serving and our praying and our believing. We're doing that here because we want this city to experience that. We want every child and every young person and every middle-aged person, every older person to to know that and to be able to take that to their families. That's what we partner together to do. And then we partner together with the churches of the world to bring justice into the world spiritually and physically and emotionally because we've been rescued, because we've been rescued. So let's all stand. I'd love to pray together. And uh, let's just stand for a moment and just consider the incredible picture of who God is. It's a picture. It's an image of Jesus hanging on the cross for the sins of the world to defeat the powers of darkness in this world for you but for the entire world that our systems of injustice would be defeated. Just picture that, the systems of injustice defeated. And he's saying, reach out your hand if you want to be rescued from it. You can't do it by yourself. Reach out your hand and I will lift you out of it if you trust totally in me. Stop trusting in yourself, trust totally in me. And I believe that today there's those of us who need to reach out our hand, those who've never reached out our hand to trust in him and those of us who have started to trust in ourselves again. And he's saying, reach up to me. You cannot do it by yourself. But if you reach up to me and you let me rescue you out of darkness, I will give you light and I'll give you wisdom and I'll give you understanding and I'll give you love and grace that you've never experienced before and you will show that love and grace. And people may think it's silly and powerless, but you will see the power of my love and my grace. And that's what God wants to do through each one of us. I believe he's saying, will you surrender to me? Will you give your life to me so that you can be a minister of grace and truth and justice and kindness into this world? Will you give your life to me? It's a response from each one of us that he asks for. It doesn't matter what the person next to you thinks, it's what you think is that what life is all about to bring God's form of justice into the world through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for your divine rescue plan. I pray you'll open the eyes of every heart here that we may see truly what you're like. Get rid of any picture we've had of you being the harsh, cruel judge who came to condemn us. And may we see you as the loving God who gave his life to rescue us, full of grace and truth. Enable us to be filled afresh today as we stand here with your spirit that we may hear you and serve you and follow you all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.